0: Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit amazon.com Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at popsugar.com slash juntos. Con amor, Johanna. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: It is hard for me to imagine that Trump is not thinking about what does life look like as an ex-president? The businesses we know about are not doing well. This is a family in real financial trouble. He made a fair bit of his money from the former Soviet Union over the last decade. I also think that's his best shot to make a lot of money going forward.
2: Hello, welcome to the Show on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I've been thinking a lot lately about not quite Donald Trump and Russia, but Donald Trump and the Trump organization. We are so focused on this question of collusion that I think we're missing a lot around the question of corruption. Some of that corruption might, of course, relate to Russia. It might relate to whether or not Vladimir Putin or people around Vladimir Putin have some kind of leverage on Donald Trump. It might relate to whether or not Donald Trump is trying to get something out of people around Vladimir Putin, either pay them back for something in the past or, or do something in the future. So you kind of hear it in that space. But there's a lot else here the, the The Trump organization is this massive, sprawling, quite poorly managed, um, and in many cases, very shady operation. And what it's got Trump in – And what that means, the people who have been in it with him have on Donald Trump, is I think a more important question for our country than than we give a credit for. In some ways, I think some of the only good news for Donald Trump about the Russia investigation is that it has taken away attention that would normally be on the vast web of corruption that is within his enterprises and is clearly affecting people around him, staff around him, the culture he has built around him. You don't get people like Scott Pruitt and Tom Price getting these sweetheart deals on real estate state and taken private jets out of nothing. Something is happening here that I think we need to pay a lot more attention to. I've really come to the view that if something comes out that is going to really change the path of Donald Trump's presidency, it's going to come from money, not from geopolitical Espionage. Now, it doesn't mean that things can't be connected, but I think the money trail is more important than we give it credit for. And also, we know quite a bit less about it than we know about, say, what happened in the election with Russia and the Trump campaign. So, that said, it is not the case that no one is covering this well. There there, there are a number of reporters who've been incredibly dogged trying to understand what the Trump organization has been doing overseas, how it all comes together, how Trump ran his organizations, and what were the kind of hallmarks of it. What was it that typified Trump's operations. What kind of head of an organization was he? And what does that mean for his presidency? One of the people who's been doing the best job on this is Adam Davidson of The New Yorker. Now, Now, you may know, if you're a podcast listener, the dulcet tones of Adam Davidson. He is one of the founders of Planet Money, one of the truly great podcasts, which is, of course, still going today. But Adam is now at The New Yorker. He has been digging in with incredible investigative pieces on Donald Trump and the Trump organization and its deals in places from Azerbaijan to Georgia, what's going on between Donald Trump and Michael Cohen. He's been an essential read on all this, and he is an essential listen to it as well. Uh, as always, you can email me with guest show requests, with feedback, with anything, at EzraKlineShow at Vox.com. Hope you're checking out our Netflix series, Explained, my other podcast, The Weeds, all the Vox Media Podcast Network podcasts, they're all great. Uh, but here, for now, is Adam Davidson with a very, very, very helpful and in some ways quite chilling look at all what it means and what it would mean to take the corruption we already see around Donald Trump seriously and try to think through what is there that we have not seen yet. Adam Davidson, welcome to the show. Hey, Ezra. It's so great to be on. It is weird to be interviewing you and not listening to you. Oh, <laughs> you mean because of my Planet Money days? Because your Planet Money background. You're, you're a podcast celebrity, man. That's never going to go away. Yeah, now I'm a guy who types. Now you're a guy who types. You're, you're going backwards in mediums. Exactly. I have a stylus, some clay. I got a plan. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about something you typed. You you began your recent piece on Trump by writing, the former CIA operative Jack Devine watched Donald Trump's performance standing next to Vladimir Putin on Monday, and his first thought was, quote, there is no way Trump is a Russian agent. Why? Well, he,
1: he specifically, Jack Devine, was talking about how Trump was so nakedly uh, Sort of praising Putin and and um, basking in Putin's glow. That if he actually were an agent of Putin's, he would have taken the opportunity to yell at Putin to to um, end any discussion that he was Putin's puppet. Um, and Divine also said that uh, he, you know, this is a career CIA guy who hunted moles within the CIA and FBI, who you know worked against the Russians over over the decades. He said, you, you would never choose someone like Donald Trump as an agent because, yes, he's a narcissist, which is good. You want our, uh, your agents to be narcissists, but you want them to be quiet narcissists, narcissists who work secretly in, and get their satisfaction from uh, revealing to themselves only you know, what, how they're pulling one over on, on the FBI or the CIA or whoever. And Trump, obviously, whatever he does, he needs everybody to see it as loudly as possible.
2: But so then you have an alternative theory for what for what is happening there for what Trump is. What what is it?
1: Yeah, and I I do think um I do think there's there's much more to be learned about the specific Putin Trump relationship and I do think you know, we now have firmly established that there was some forms of collusion between Russians and people in the Trump campaign. We don't yet know if it was effective. We don't yet know how much Trump himself was was part of that but but um i th- i think collusion is is definitely not off the table however even if we find definitive proof that Trump was not colluding in any way with Putin during the campaign one thing we do know is that Trump over the last say 10 years turned aggressively towards oligarchs in the former Soviet union and by definition, saying oligarchs in the former Soviet Union, you're saying corrupt business people who made money by, you know, exploiting the resources of their states. And not just in Russia. In fact, Trump tended to work more with Central Asians. He had a deal in Azerbaijan um, and and a deal in Georgia, um, tried to do a deal in Kazakhstan. Um, His one deal in Moscow, the the, uh, Miss Universe pageant, was with some Azerbaijani businessmen who live in Moscow. So, um, But he did business with some very, very questionable characters. So even given that all oligarchs are probably almost certainly guilty of some form of corruption, he did business with people who really stand out as being unusually corrupt, even in that world, Um, did essentially, as far as we can tell, no due diligence, um, and put himself at enormous risk for uh, criminal liability, um, and also exposed himself to something some political scientists call the sistema, the system in the former Soviet Union of, of blackmail and favors and and pressure, where all business people of, of a certain size are constantly finding secrets out about their partners and their competitors, and using those secrets to try and position themselves better and to put their partners down so putin may or may not have serious compromise serious compromising information on trump but i think it's all but certain that many many other people in the former soviet union do and 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 those are people who are well practiced in the use of compromising information to to get ahead so let me push you
2: on the piece of this that i wonder about so There tends to be an assumption that what is going on between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin given Donald Trump's very unusual positivity and consistent courting of Putin, is it – inside the relationship is something fear-based, that Donald Trump fears something Vladimir Putin has on him. Trump never strikes me as somebody who operates all that normally out of a sense of fear. Uh, he, he he doesn't. He he seems to be a, a strike back kind of guy, more than a cower kind of guy. Now maybe what Putin has is so bad, you know, the P tape is out there, but. One of the things that I think about when I read your pieces on the web of questionable financial ties Donald Trump has to both Russia and sort of Russian satellites to to, to oligarchs who are connected to Putin, um, when I hear Eric and Donald Trump Jr. talk about how much of the Trump organization was reliant on Russian funding, um, that was before Donald Trump was president, is that this could also be a relationship based on sincere appreciation and alliance, that Donald Trump felt mistreated by a lot of folks in the West, both political and economic, felt not taken seriously. He repeatedly went to to Russia and sort of Russian satellite states, was treated incredibly well, flattered incredibly uh, adroitly, um, given a lot of money he needed at times when he needed it, given financial independence he needed at times when that mattered to him. And so that just created a very favorable ground for him to think very highly of Russia and the former Soviet bloc uh, to think very highly of Vladimir Putin and people near Vladimir Putin, and and to be defensive, uh, you know, when when challenged on on that relationship. So, what what do you take as the possibility that this actually isn't about what they have on him, but about what they did for him? And Trump is just in this way a loyal guy who you know likes his friends and 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 doesn't like being told to not like his friends. Well, it it it's actually. I I, th- I would argue it is almost
1: certainly both. And it's not just what they did for him past tense. Um, I Trump is not a guy who shows enormous gratitude or, or loyalty to people who no longer serve his interests. I can't think of anybody who he showed that to. Um, Eric but, Trump. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, you know, the when you talk to people who work within the Trump organization he's pretty awful to his children and um you know uh, other than publicly praising them so there clearly is something going on in the Putin relationship that is truly without parallel I mean Trump has you know maybe Ivanka is in the running for the one other character who Trump just does not publicly humiliate um, does not attack ever does not say a negative word about ever although one could argue that the way he talks about Ivanka is fairly humiliating to her sexualizing his daughter but um but that's a different conversation but i would say the way i understand how sistema works in the in the soviet union and and we should say it's not just there these are Things that I cut my teeth as a reporter in Chicago, and and it reminded me a lot of the way the Chicago machine worked. There's a carrot and there's a stick. Um, the stick is we have compromising information, we can destroy you, but you never want to use the stick. You know, once you release the compromising information and destroy someone, they're no longer useful to you. The carrot is an unbelievable torrent of money. I mean, there there are incredible statistics about Russia and the former Soviet Union. Half of the country's wealth is out of the country, largely hidden from the global financial system. So in shell corporations, in part, they're used in money laundering. Um, And this is a remarkable fact. If you look at Russia in particular, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan. These are places with unimaginable oil wealth and and in the case of Kazakhstan, other mineral wealth, and just trillions and trillions of dollars made there and then funneled out immediately and just became a a way of making money both during the housing bubble, but even more importantly, perhaps after the housing bubble burst when it was very, very hard to make money in real estate. This was a just a, a waterfall of money, specifically into New York, Miami, London, that was irresistible to a whole lot of developers. Trump is certainly not the only one. What Trump did that was different, though, was he actually went to the home countries and offered to put his name on their projects that seemed pretty shady, that, that seemed to bear a lot of the hallmarks of money laundering, financial crime. Etc. And since his presidency began, all of his branded properties, except maybe Mar a Lago, have been suffering. The Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., attendance is way down. His properties around the world are not doing well. And the company, you know, their big launch of a three and four star hotel chain in America has pretty much collapsed. Um, Ivanka Trump just this week destroyed her line. I mean, the businesses we know about are not doing well. This is a family in real financial trouble. And it is hard for me to imagine that Trump is not thinking about what does life look like as an ex-president. I mean, maybe he has a fantasy that he'll now be at the level of a Ritz-Carlton and there will be a whole bunch of, you know, first world Trump uh hotels and resorts and golf courses. But if he has any realistic instinct, and I think he does, I think the much more likely thing is there's going to be Trump properties all over the former Soviet Union and and other places where he's popular. There aren't a lot of other places where he's popular, by the way. He's hugely popular in Russia. There's not a long list of countries where he's popular. So I think, yes, he made a fair bit of his money from the former Soviet Union over the last decade. But I also think that's his best shot to
2: make a lot of money going forward. I wanna go back to what you were saying about Donald Trump choosing some particularly shady partners and then entering into some particularly shady deals. In one of your pieces, you wrote, so many partners of the Trump organization have been fined, sued, or criminally investigated for financial crimes that it is hard to ascribe the pattern to coincidence or even to shoddy due diligence. In criminal law, there's a crucial concept called willful blindness. A person can be convicted of a crime even if he was unaware of certain aspects of the crime in which he was engaged. In U.S. courts, judges routinely explain to juries that, quote, no one can avoid responsibility for a crime by the Deliberately ignoring what is obvious. When you write that, what kinds of crimes are you suggesting that the Trump organization has been party to, that it should have been aware of or steered clear of? The single most shocking one that I continue to be amazed
1: is not a bigger story is that for the entire duration of the presidential campaign, uh, Donald Trump and the Trump organization – were knowingly—in other words, this is not willful blindness—they knew, they admit they knew they were in business with the Mamadov family in Azerbaijan at a time when there was tremendous evidence, including U.S. State Department cables released by WikiLeaks, that the Mamadovs were money-laundering partners of Iran's Revolutionary guard and I really want to like zero in on that. This is a big, big, big deal. When sanctions against Iran began, the way the U.S. And, and the global community sanctioned Iran is there were broad sanctions against the Iranian economy, but then there were specific entities that were singled out for what's called strict liability. If you get money from these entities, you are guilty of sanctions violations, and you can go to jail. One of the biggest sanctioned entities is this company, Katam el-Anbia. It's the, it sounds kind of weird. It's the Revolutionary Guards construction arm. This is a huge multi-billion dollar company that sort of does everything in Iran. It's building the Tehran Metro, it builds and controls ports, but it's also known to be involved in the weapons of mass destruction efforts, to, you know, acquiring nuclear missiles and and other such things. And so what Katamalambia did is it basically broke itself up into hundreds, maybe a thousand or so, small companies. They put Revolutionary Guard generals in charge of the companies. And, um, and those specific companies were not named as sanctions violators. They would go around the world and do what seemed to be normal business, but they were part of this system, this Revolutionary Guard system. So they were available to handle terror financing, to get money into the hands of Bashar al-Assad, or or weapons into the hands of Bashar al-Assad, or Hezbollah to commit acts of terror, or to acquire WMD. And uh, one of the largest, one of these companies is something called Zar Pasilo, which was at the time, Trump was working with the Mamata family, also working with the Mamata family, generating what seems to be hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars in corrupt cash from Azerbaijan. They knew this. The Trump organization knew this and stayed in business. Alan Garton, the general counsel, said, well, you can't break a contract. I'm not a lawyer. I think if you find out that your partner who, is... Faci- who, did, who did he say that to? Me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, there you go. I should have
1: read that more closely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think you can break. it a- he
2: he said when asked why they were working with uh a, basically an intermediary for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, they said, "Well, you can't break a contract." I he said those words. Yeah, that you is, can't just break a. That contract. is wild. Now, my understanding
1: of the law, and again, not a lawyer, is you can't break the law and then say, well, I had to break the law because my contract said I had to break the law. I mean, that that's that's an absurd statement. So <laughs> for every minute of the campaign, every time Trump talked about Obama being weak on Iran, he was knowingly in business. One thing that struck me, I, I was able to see the contract that Trump had with the Mamada family, and the Trump organization had the right to audit their books. So he was able to actually go into their books and figure out, you know, is the money that they're giving me from the Revolutionary Guard or is it not? Um, Obviously, he didn't take them up on that offer. But that's just one deal, by the way, a crazy deal. I mean, one thing I hear from Trump supporters, but even people who aren't Trump supporters is, well, business is rough and everybody does funny stuff. But I will tell you, this is not something business people do. This is, outrageously irresponsible. Even if you don't really care about politics or terror or WMD, even if all you care about is the bottom line, you know, Trump exposed the Trump organization to hundreds of millions of dollars of potential fines. I'll also say this project was run by Ivanka Trump. There's Often people imagine, I think, that she's the sort of responsible one. But this was her project. She went to Azerbaijan. She met people there. And there I will tell you, because I've been to Azerbaijan, you can't be in Azerbaijan and not be told again and again that the Mamadov family are famously the most corrupt family in Azerbaijan, which is a very corrupt nation, and that the Mamadovs are close to the Iran There's no way she didn't know that. She also knew that this luxury hotel residence was in a part of town that had no, it was absurd. It's like saying I'm opening, you know, in downtown Newark, the, uh, you know, my super five-star luxury hotel. It makes zero sense.
2: That's just one deal. I could go on and on. Well, I actually do want to go at least a little bit on, but but before we do, I want to define a term because this is one of those terms that, that comes up and 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 everybody sort of pretends they really understand it, including me. And 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 it's a, a, always always strikes me as a place where there's some confusion. Money laundering. Talk to me a little bit a little bit about what money laundering is. Yeah, I w- I will
1: say that, um, you know, as you know, because you and I were had very similar jobs. I learned an awful lot during the financial crisis about our financial system because you learn how things work when they break, as Ben Bernanke famously said. And I am now learning an awful lot about international financial crime, thanks to the Trump administration. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, um, so money laundering, it's actually a weird um, sort of crime, because money laundering is not a goal. You know, it, 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 you're not like, oh, I I can't wait to launder my money. Um, Money laundering is a sort of intermediate step. So basically there are three steps. So first of all, you got some money from some illegal source, a specified source. It's called a SUA, a specified unlawful activity. A fact I love is that since Congress passed the law that governs money laundering, Congress people cannot commit (laughs) specified unlawful activities. They're essentially immune from money laundering prosecutions. So you you were part of terror financing, weapons of mass destruction, corruption, um, you know, drugs, obviously. And then you do a financial transaction like, you know, Paul Manafort buying a house in Brooklyn or spending millions of dollars on suits um, or whatever. You do some kind of financial transaction. And then The third step is that the purpose of that financial transaction, it's first of all to clean the money so that it's extremely difficult. If I handed you, you know, just a giant duffel bag of $8 million in cash, or if I just wired $8 million into your bank account, I'm actually creating a whole host of problems for you. You will be heavily, heavily monitored, and you really have to tell a good story about where the money came from. And the more money you have, the harder it is to launder it, to make it clean, so that you can then use it in the legitimate financial system. So when you look at a lot of former Soviet oligarchs, the Mamadovs are an extreme example where they were actually involved in, you know, possibly terror financing, WMD. That's pretty extreme. The more typical former Soviet A little light treason, as they say. A little light treason. (laughs) The more typical former Soviet oligarch— is you know it's corruption They're they have some business where they get to expropriate wealth from the state you know they have a a mine that they got through shady means and they're able to just squirrel it away hundreds of millions of dollars and put it in some bank account in london or buy an apartment in miami or whatever and we should say i mean i don't know if this is in defense of trump or to make us upset about how the us and uk economies work money laundering is rife, and specifically real estate in New York and London and Miami. That's something the U.S. government recognizes, the U.K. government recognizes, and does way too little about. It's very rarely prosecuted. It's billions of dollars. I spoke with the former head of real estate regulation for the New York State Department of Financial Supervision, and he told me that There was a genuine conversation at the highest levels. And the decision was, we cannot come down too hard on money laundering because it would devastate the New York economy. Really? Which is depressing. That's depressing. And that is not all Trump. So, you know, one thing I like to say is... When this is all over, can we please have a big conversation about white-collar crime in general? Yeah, also and, I want to say, it's not
2: only depressing. That's like, you, you sure don't hear that said about um, crimes that poor people commit, no. right? Well, we can't come down too hard on this because it will destroy the community by locking – I mean, there's a, like, there's a real toxicity to that sentiment um, that I just want to call out. Absolutely.
1: And it is not victimless. I mean, if, if it's I'm It's not able victimless,
2: No. The
1: fact They're that I know that I'll be able to launder hundreds of millions of dollars into New York real estate is an incentive to commit the original crime, because I know I can get it into the New York economy and then into the global economy. And so, so there are people dead in the world from drug overdoses, from terrorism, from the lack of healthcare in Kazakhstan because of all the corruption, and they are dead because of New York saying, yeah, we'll sell that $80 million condo to that oligarch without asking a lot of questions. That being said, even in that world, Trump is an outlier. He did business with worse people than most people do. And again, he did business in their home country, helping them basically put a shiny gold brand on pretty sketchy projects. Um, As a general rule, a real estate project is a wonderful vehicle for money laundering. So first of all, you have the construction of the building itself. Millions of dollars sent to architects and engineers around the world. You have, you know, countless dollars spent on cement and marble and wood and door fixtures and et cetera and et cetera. You have construction workers coming from all over the world. So you have a legitimate reason to be sending payments all over the world that just say this is for a construction project. Usually there's nobody counting to make sure that, all those bills add up to a reasonable sum. So there's no reason you can't either pay your architect, you know, 10 times the value that they provided and then have them funnel the money back into your account in some other country or pay 10 architects and and use that to funnel money. Same with marble, same with wood, same with all, all the other elements. So while the building's being built enormous opportunity for really macro level money laundering, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. And then the transactions themselves, selling the units or renting the hotel rooms, Um, resorts, like Trump had this big resort plan in Batumi, Georgia. Resorts are great. You got all these coffee shops and bars and cafes with tons of cash coming in really easy to start, you know, folding that money into the legitimate stream of of the global banking system. And so that's what we mean by money laundering. We mean bad actors doing bad things, wanting to enjoy the proceeds of those bad things, and having a problem that the world is going to pay attention, that officials are going to pay attention, and Trump either explicitly or implicitly selling a service to make those transactions Less scrutinized. If you're the customs inspector in, you know, Switzerland or you know, uh, Romania or whatever, who's looking at some transaction involving a project in Azerbaijan, if it's just the Mamata family tower on some random corner in Azerbaijan, that might look weird to you. If it's Trump Tower, you might just think, "Oh boy, well, Trump is a big name. I, I assume that's a legitimate deal."
0: Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: So what's so interesting to me about this is that it connects to this much bigger story about Donald Trump and his business. Donald Trump says he's a real estate developer and and he at times has been a real estate developer. But what he became over time, his great innovation actually, is that he's a brand licensor. And as a brand licensor, as I understand it, His great innovation was that he would license his name, which was a kind of luxury brand, to – products that normally could not get a luxury brand attached to them. Um, he would license it to a shitty university, right? And and that ended up being a scam. right? And also, it's not a university. Right. And these bizarre projects in Georgia and Azerbaijan. And he would license it to vodka, even though he doesn't drink vodka and certainly was not going out and figuring out the best kind of vodka and to these crummy neckties and to steaks and to, to kind of everything. One of the things he did was that he ran out of money at a certain point. And then he realized that his value was his name and his brand and that there was a market to give that name to products that normally cannot get legitimacy. And so what you're saying here is that this business model for Donald Trump operated on two levels. It operated, number one, on the level of just – bad products, that part of the Trump thing was that he just did less due diligence, demanded less quality from what he gave his imprimatur to than other similar players in that space. But then that like in addition to it being reputation laundering, <laughs> that the same impulses that'll, that just like let him do it as reputation laundering created an organization that was doing it as in some cases potentially as actual criminal money laundering because they didn't care. The thing that makes this all very credible to me in addition to the just literal money trail and, and all the great reporting you and others have done and everything we know about his foundation, but is just that again and again we see in the way he ran his business that he didn't care who he partnered with. He just, like, if you were willing to tell Donald Trump he was great and pay him the money, he gave you the name. And so the, the the thing about this is that it's not some big leap. It is just literally what his business was doing in all kinds of different directions. And it just seems that just as there were no borders in quality, there was really no border in the savoriness of the actors that he partnered with.
1: I agree with everything you just said, um, and, and I also think it was from – People I talked to there, this was not accidental. It was deliberate. It is, while not legally bulletproof. And certainly the people within the Trump organization believed it was true that he was legally safe because he's receiving money in payment from these potentially corrupt enterprises. Their view is they're not participating. They're not equity owners. They don't, they're not part of the criminal enterprise. They're just service providers of the criminal enterprise. Now, I've I've talked to an awful lot of lawyers, and I think more agree with me than don't, but some really don't agree with me that the Trump Organization probably, even if all they did was license their name, they probably still broke the law. The legal issue is really twofold. One is just control. Did they control the project? So if there's some shopping mall in Singapore that turns out to be A corrupt enterprise, and there's a McDonald's there. Nobody's going to say, hey, McDonald's is guilty of that corruption. Um, McDonald's probably had no real way of knowing about the corruption. But when the whole project is the Trump hotel or the Trump residence, and it is Ivanka flying over there, overseeing the drawings, deciding how it would be built. I mean, just for one example, in the Azerbaijan case, from what insiders told me, Ivanka said, I don't just want a tower, I want gardens around the tower. And shortly after she said that, the patriarch of the Mamadov family, Zia Mamadov, who was the uh, transportation minister at the time, used his power to kick people out of their homes so that he could have that land for the gardens that Ivanka asked for. Now, at that point, to me, that's beginning to sound like she is participating in a corrupt activity. Maybe she didn't specifically know what he would do, but she did know there were residences there. She did know that she was dealing with an unsavory character. And she did know that all of a sudden those residences were gone and there was a garden there. That starts... To me and to other, you know, former prosecutors and folks I talked to, start to sound a lot more like participating in a criminal enterprise. But they do have some protection because they are uh, not equity owners. And I will say that the thing that protected them the most was probably that they're kind of measly. You know, they're, these deals—they're making a few million here, a million there. You know, Azerbaijan is a five million dollar deal for them the Georgia deal, they made 1 million. And prosecutors in America are not really going to go after, I mean, you know, I'd I'd love a million dollars or $5 million. That's a lot of money to me. But for prosecutors who have to go through unbelievable expense and difficulty to prosecute overseas crimes, they're really looking for billion dollar, you know, massive corruption cases, massive cases. And It's only because he's president and because people like me and many, many others have been looking systematically that we notice that these sort of one-off deals where Trump partners with an unsavory person in a project that doesn't seem to make much sense, that ultimately fails after a lot of money has been spent, where the only common denominator is Trump. So if you look at the deals in Panama and the Dominican Republic and Uruguay, some of the projects in India, you see very similar stories. Politically connected people build a building, get get some deposits, spend a whole lot of money doing a whole lot of stuff, and then the project collapses. Panama didn't collapse, but the other ones did. And although Panama may be the most problematic of all of them for other reasons. So you start to think, was Trump really just licensing his name and by coincidence, everyone he licensed to or almost everyone showed all the hallmarks of corruption and financial fraud and their deals collapsed after spending lots of money? Or was this a systematic, um, was this the business? Was this a a criminal enterprise? Now, I, I want to make very clear, I'm not ready to say, yes, we know for sure it is. and And it is possible, it's hard to know what the intent was, it, you know, I, I suppose it is possible that Trump just wanted to do business with whoever did business with him, and the people who happened to want to do business with him were criminals, and he really just didn't know. But to me, the more facts we learn, the less easy it is to 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 believe in that explanation.
2: I'm actually less interested in the word and idea here of criminality than corruption. What seems to me to be very clear. Through Trump's businesses, through his foundation, which is now in in a lot of legal jeopardy, is that there these were corrupt exercises. They were poorly managed. They were partnered with very unsavory characters. What the law does and doesn't permit you to do can in, in its own ways be, be idiosyncratic. It has somewhat strange borders at times. And and I'm I'm willing to believe Trump overstepped those borders many times and I'm willing to believe many times he did not Um, or I'm willing to believe that these are value judgments and it would depend on how good your lawyers were on either side. But this was a very, very corrupt set of enterprises It brought him into contact with a very, very unusual collection of people, Um, ended up with him being in debt to people that it would not be great to be in debt to. I think you see in Donald Trump's administration just an astonishing level of venality and corruption, thinking here of people like Scott Pruitt who just – really seem to be – and Tom Price who, who seem to have walked in there and seen a culture where they could take first-class flights and private flights and buy fancy mattresses and get sweetheart deals on the taxpayer dime. That to me is the, the interesting part of this. It, more than the question of whether or not you're, he's going to get like caught on a money laundering charge, I, I highly doubt that. I think this level of corruption in any normal political context would be massive scandal. I mean a lot of what ends up being a scandal is not literally things that people go to jail for. It's things that are wrong. It's things that put the public interest at risk. It's things that undermine the name of the country or or what you're supposed to be doing and that seems to be here too. The thing to me that seems to be interesting here is how much there is compared to how little we know. So you, you wrote that Donald Trump, according to published financial disclosure, owns 565 different companies, each of which is a black box. We don't have his tax returns. We know that his complexes are, are almost unimaginably complex and that he ran all this stuff. And again, we see it – the foundation is to me the, the the most obvious example. He ran this stuff in very, very strange, lackadaisical and sometimes very uh, corrupt and 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 venal ways. What's in there – I have no idea, right? That that makes it tantalizing to a reporter. Um, and how hard he has worked to keep people from getting visibility into it, that also sends up all of my flags. So th- that's my question for you, which is, wh- what do you think is the range of things that could be there? Like, if we got his tax returns, what do you think they could show us? I mean, this, obviously, this is the... <laughs> The
1: the I was going to say the billion-dollar question, but it might be the $100,000 question, by which I mean one thing much of this behavior suggests is this was a desperate guy. This was a cash-poor guy who was probably in a lot more financial duress than he wants us to realize and w- was living much closer to a hand-to-mouth existence than he should.
2: Right. Can I note one thing on that? Yeah. When, when you tell me that they were doing deals in Azerbaijan for $5 million, that's what that sounds like to me right if you're sitting on piles of money that's a tough cost benefit analysis and you did that piece i believe it was about trump in georgia where he he was going to georgia and and you know opening this tower and going and praising the president there and showing up that's a lot of work for a couple million dollars um and most people who are billionaires would not do and it, it. was
1: 1 million dollars and the georgians told me that trump paid for his gas on his plane, which was a uh, like $250,000. So he made $750,000 and then spent a couple days in Georgia. This is a guy who hates to travel. So it, it's a confusing thing. I mean, you don't see Jeff Bezos taking three days out of his life. Now, Jeff Bezos is on a totally different level than even Trump's wildest claims are, but you generally don't see billionaires Spending that much time and effort to make seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars—it just doesn't
2: make any sense, right? When you're that rich, you're typically time poor. Yes, exactly. And Trump acted like somebody who is time rich and cash poor. Exactly, and and the
1: kids are flying around the world constantly, drumming up these these nickel and dime deals. You know, the—I mean, again, I I always have to. It's a lot of money me, for us. You know, yes, it's. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd take <laughs> seven hundred fifty grand to fly to. Georgia if if offered although maybe I'd ask a few questions <laughs> where <laughs> the money came from but um although for me 750,000 would be life changing money you know like it, you start to wonder what risks would I take although I still don't think I would take the risks he took um but for trump these should not be life changing sums and they should
2: be, he should be very skeptical. So one that. thing that could be on the tax returns is just he's not that rich, and this has always been something that Donald Trump has been angry that people allege about him. So it could be that we think there's all this crazy stuff there, but really he is just protecting his own public reputation, right? right? So like, that, I, I actually that's, think that's the most innocent idea about the tax returns,
1: right? The other thing is, which is related and seems to be opposite, but but isn't necessarily. There seems to be a sort of dark money in Trump's. Finances when when we add up and lots of people, the journal did this. Lots of people have done you know listed out every single thing he has anything to do with going back ten years, how much money it generated. It is really hard to see how he spent the money that he spent. So um, as as David Ferrantold and Jonathan O'Connell in the Washington Post reported, he sort of went on this crazy cash binge, including. $200 million just in 2014 alone, buying up golf courses and and spending an insane amount, over $200 million, on this one Scottish golf course. It's losing money. It's a total money pit. just makes no sense as an investment. And it's really hard to figure out how he had that much money. And if he had that much money, it seems like it would be all the money he had, and it would make no sense to put it into a money pit. So again, speculating here, but this is something many people are speculating, is another thing we might see is the more we know about his cash flow, the more he's getting cash from businesses that he has not reported. In other words, businesses he doesn't want us to know about. So, you know, money laundering, whatever it might be. Or the more the cash he's been spending is not actually his cash. That, you know, it's fairly trivial for me to set up a legal, financial, corporate structure where you and I create a shell company, um, the shell company is officially owned 100% by you, but then you and I have a side letter where I actually own the money, um, and then I put $100 million into it, you spend it as Ezra Klein investing in such and such for Ezra Klein's purposes, and only people who have access to you know private contracts and and financial information would know, no, actually Ezra was that was Adam Davidson's money, and and Ezra was paying it. And Ezra, I just realized I just outed us in our massive money laundering scheme that we've been planning. This is why um, I
2: didn't for... want to do this podcast, Adam. Yeah, yeah. I wish you had. But and I want why, to, why didn't I you want to, edit this out? <laughs> I want to reflect. The, I want to reflect this story back to you just for a second because I think this is important because I think this is where you get into possibly the more sinister explanations. So what you're saying here is that. It is trivially easy to imagine ways that it would have been legal for Trump to have effectively been staked by oligarchs or just by unsavory characters one way or another, that that, that he and potentially his companies were basically spending the money of people whom it wasn't their money and you wouldn't want. Trump and his family to have been dependent on these people. Nothing illegal about it. You, you can report that to the IRS, but if it got out, it would look really bad. And If it got out, it might, for instance, give a lot more texture to the question of are there folks who have a direct line to or some kind of chits to cash in with Trump whom that seems to throw the interests of the US into some level of suspicion. Exactly,
1: and and the uh, you know Trump Cohen audio tape that was released this week. What we hear on the audio tape is Cohen saying we're going to create a secret LLC. I talked to Alan Weisselberg, your you know Trump's longtime CFO. He told me how to do it. We're going to fund it. We're going to put money into it, and we're going to disguise this payment. And they are not talking like two men who've never heard of this kind of. Idea before they seem very very. Sorry, in this case,
2: I just want to be clear about something. In this case, you're saying they're doing it for someone else. The the scenario we're just talking about. In this case, Trump is creating this presumably for some model he slept with and, and is paying off. Yeah,
1: right, right, yes, exactly. But but so it's uh, like somebody the, could have
2: been doing this for Trump too.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. And 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 the what is clear is Cohen and Trump are very familiar with the idea of creating secretive LLCs putting money into them so that the public law enforcement, whoever won't be able to know where the money came from, where it was going, why it was going. Um, And that it seems at least one strong possible reading from the tape is that Cohen was saying Alan Weisselberg, who has been Trump's right-hand money guy since 1973 when trump started in the business um was the expert in how to do this you know he said i learned i talked to alan weisselberg he taught me how to set it up which is kind of funny i would have thought cohen would be an expert on it himself i was surprised he needed to talk to alan weisselberg so to me that showed if if i tried to explain a scheme like this to you know to to an truly honest business person. I think I'd have to spend some time walking them through it. And, you know, and, and the person might have some questions about, well, isn't that risky? Couldn't we get caught? Oh boy, I'm a little nervous about it. But these were two men very comfortable with this kind of structure, which makes me think that this was not the first time they used a structure, a legal and financial structure, to move money in a way that disguised the money. It's very easy to do. Delaware shell companies, overseas shell companies, and, and you can do this for legitimate reasons, it's not just illegal reasons, but a company can be owned by one person, but then there can be a contract that the stuff within the company is owned by another. I saw this, for example, in, in, a, in one of Trump's deals. Um, this was with his partners, not with him, but there was a company that had sort of an official value of $19,000, something like that. And when we got internal financial data, we saw that the company was actually worth seventy-five million dollars. But it, you know, the the money was disguised in a series of contracts and internal, like sort of LLCs owning LLCs, shell companies owning shell companies. So, so that would be something that one would just be very curious about. You know, what just what is the flow of money? Who is giving him money? Who is he giving money to? And what are ongoing payment streams? You know, Trump said he's not going to do any new international deals. He has several existing international deals with some unsavory characters. His partner in Indonesia who's just opening um, a new Trump resort, Harry Joe is extremely corrupt for Indonesia, another very corrupt country. A man who is um, also, weirdly, because he's Christian, had ties to Islamist terror financiers. And uh, his his partner in Vancouver, a Malaysian man who was tied to financial crime, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I I tend to talk about it in the past because we know more about the past, but there's no reason to think these flows of funds are not ongoing today from very politically connected business people
2: in many key parts of the world. Whenever I hear this stuff, I was thinking about Jimmy Carter selling his peanut farm to become president. Because you wouldn't want to have the appearance of corruption. Exactly. <laughs> right. um, so a, a piece of this that I just think is is playing into what you're saying about Trump and Cohen on the tape. But, But you see a lot with Trump is a comfort with practices that if you had gotten yourself comfortable with them, you could be in some real – shady stuff. So so you're talking here about Trump's comfort with the idea of setting up secret hidden LLCs in order to make payments to other people so they don't say things Donald Trump doesn't want them to say. That's one thing. Trump has talked about the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act which is a legislation that – and you, you probably know more about this than I do, so you can correct me if I misdescribe it. But among other things, it basically says you can't go around bribing people in other countries in order to get business. A lot of businessmen don't love this act because there are a lot of countries where the way you get business is you bribe. And Donald Trump himself has called it a ridiculous and horrible law. Uh, and is-
1: explicitly said on CNBC in 2012, there's no way to do business without bribing people. He said that. And yet so, we know Donald Trump has me done, like done a lot a of confession. business.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, So that, that, that's a thing too. We know that um, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump have talked about the amount of their money that was coming from Russia. That, that that I believe it was Trump Jr. who said that they were not relying on American banks. They were staked at that point by the Russians. That was in 2014. Uh, again, if I'm getting this from memory right. So there's a lot here that as a kind of background radiation thing. Donald Trump is a person who was comfortable with talking about and meshed in Corrupt practices, corrupt people. Um, He was doing business in in environments that that were 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 littered with corruption. He then seems to have an unusual level of secrecy around how all that went. He's not sold anything off. He seems to mainly think that the impediments on his behavior were the problem. Things like the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which should be which should be lifted. He ran this foundation, which was clearly at this point like an illegal scam, and it's going and it's running its way through the New York courts. I don't exactly like like so often on my podcast I don't know exactly what the the upshot of this is but there's so much kind of corrupt stuff here that it's just a very bad thing to have a president enmeshed in. It's a bad thing for our national interest. It's a bad thing because who might have power over him or know a lot about him or have secrets over him. It's a bad thing also just because it would be good if the president were minimally ethical. And then I think it's becoming a bad thing for Donald Trump because he had around him a lot of very corrupt people. Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, Roger Stone, Michael Flynn. And These people, at least in some of these cases, are beginning to turn on him and they they may know quite a lot. And and so that's what what I wanted to ask you about next. Donald Trump now seems to be at the center of a lot of folks who may know a lot of things that are quite bad for him and like him are (laughs) corrupt people who are out for themselves and are not that worried about niceties of loyalty and law. And this seems to me to be where a lot of the real risk for Trump is. I keep thinking that in a year, if Donald Trump is seriously endangered uh, as a legal matter or as an impeachment matter, it's likelier to come because of something that got revealed about his money flows than it is about anything we currently know.
1: Yeah, I I would strongly agree. I also want to point out that as you were saying that very dark and foreboding um, analysis, which I agree with, the uh, very loud and persistent thunder began in – Outside my window,
2: that you can hear in the tape, so it it, it provided an excellent audio background. My, my wife is an English lit major, and she would call that the sympathetic fallacy. Yeah, I okay, got you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think that
1: there are so many reasons this is problematic. There are reasons why we don't want corrupt precedents. You know, it 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 seems like almost silly to say. So number one is. They themselves are extremely exposed. It's it's unbelievably distracting. Um, it 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 clearly forces them into taking, you know, and, and this would probably be true of any any president who was corrupt, but this is especially true for Trump, into into taking extreme positions and 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 it dramatically affects their ability to just do the job, you know, just on a day-to-day basis. That's probably the least of our worries. Another Deep, deep issue here is the GOP, the Republican complicity that I I think, I mean, one terrible thing is Trump is very clearly signaling to people who work for him make a buck, guys, make a buck. I'm not going to care unless you embarrass me. So try not to get caught. But if you don't get caught, I'm certainly not going to do anything. He has systematically, you know, destroyed much of the internal mechanisms to avoid corruption. Um, The Office of Government Ethics and, you know, you can see the sloppy way that Jared Kushner, for example, you know, kept filling out his forms and not including key information and then saying, oh, I forgot. We saw that again and again with other figures as well. Jared Kushner, who's like the
2: president's closest advisor and is so enmeshed in shady stuff, he still can't get a top secret clearance. I just want to note.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And so just on a sort of, we hired the guy to do a job. Is he doing the job well? This is a huge distraction and as you said it's likely to only be a bigger distraction. We only this week learned that Alan Weiselberg, his the guy who knows everything about his finances it, um, has been subpoenaed to appear before a grand jury. So really, you know, as much as Trump's possible personal corruption has dominated the news, it's only just beginning, really. Then you worry about how this is affecting his judgment. Either explicitly, hey, Saudi Arabia, go ahead and bomb Cutter or do whatever you need with Cutter because you just bailed out my son-in-law or you just created a secret LLC to give me a billion dollars or whatever. I'm not saying that happened, but those are the kinds of things you would worry about. Or it's just created the wrong instincts. I mean, the reason we want people to not be financially entwined with foreign governments is that it's really really hard when your livelihood depends on it to go against your own self-interest and your brain works well at convincing yourself that what's in your own self-interest is in the interest of America. So so that is is really problematic. I'd say what worries me the most and when I talk to sort of thoughtful economic historians and and political scientists, I think what worries a lot of people the most is what happens when this is all over that Trump has, if he really does emerge fairly unscathed, in other words, everyone who hates him today hates him, you know, two or six years from now, and everyone who loves him, loves him then, but there's been no real criminal or there's no no sanction. I think he has dramatically eliminated the sort of much of the sanction against corruption. I think he's signaled to lots of people that you can make money as president, that that's okay. And maybe if you're just just not tweeting about it all the time, you could probably get away with it even more than he already is. And when we look around the world at countries, you know, economists call them rent-seeking economies, economies, and they mean rent in a different way, that a functioning economy, like the U.S. is supposed to be, um, the, the government is is a ideally providing a platform, a basic legal institutional framework for the citizens to generate wealth, for us to have entrepreneurial ideas, for us to work hard, for us to create wealth that's then taxed and, and that pays for our government. And so the way to get rich is to come up with better ideas, come up with better, cheaper products, make them faster, make them better those economies tend to be freer, more democratic, more stable, much richer. Economies that are rent-seeking, where the best way to get rich is to be powerful politically or to bribe those who are powerful politically, these are dangerous economies. These are unstable economies. Winner-take-all economies. And, And I think we have a real problem in America. We had it before Trump. I think the financial crisis revealed that you know, Wall Street makes a lot of its money through this kind of regulatory manipulation. But I think Trump is bringing a kind of crass clarity to the ability to use the levers of power to enrich yourself that I will say when I get truly scared, like when I look at my six-year-old son and and worry about his future, I mean, by the time he's 20, um, I think most Americans will think of Trump as an embarrassing incident, no matter how it, it ends. But... I do worry that by the time he's 20, there will be some other president who's slicker and better, but who is is using the power of state to enrich himself and destabilize our country.
2: Oh, I, I worry all the time about competent Trump. <laughs> I think it's like the, the 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 one of the scariest things you could think about. But but all this gets to to I think a a big outstanding question here. You have a great lead in one of your pieces where you talk to Trump's then personal lawyer Jay Sekulow, and he was, and he said to you, and he, I'm going to quote him here: "I want to be really specific." And he's talking here about the Mueller investigation. A real estate deal would be outside the scope of legitimate inquiry. We have heard again and again from Donald Trump, um, from the reporting around Donald Trump, from his lawyers, that okay, you know, maybe they have to accept the Mueller witch hunt, but if Mueller gets over into the business side, if he begins getting into Donald Trump's financials, that is too far. That is something that Donald Trump may not be willing to tolerate. That is something that they may go so far as to fire their way through so they can eventually fire Mueller. You'd also noted Robert Mueller in his team. He's assembled lawyers who are fluent in Russian. Five of them have extensive experience investigating money laundering cases, foreign corruption, complex financial conspiracies. How much do you think Mueller knows about the money trail? How much do you think Mueller knows about the business ties and entanglements Trump has that we don't. I have to assume he knows
1: a lot. My understanding is he has subpoenaed a lot of internal records from the Trump organization. I think the question is more, how much will Mueller reveal um, in indictments and perhaps in a report, although maybe not in a report, um, or will Mueller decide on his own to to limit any, any public documents. Um, now, he has shown a willingness to um, refer cases like like the Michael Cohen case to other Department of Justice jurisdictions. So, so it is possible all of it will get out. I do think that this week in particular, we are seeing that this is just a lie. I mean, not just a lie, it's an absurdity that there's some way to distinguish Trump as real estate developer and Trump as political candidate. In in the Trump Foundation case that you referenced, um, we have pretty definitive evidence, including a um, the deposition of Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, that the Trump Foundation, which really didn't exist, but um, was openly paying money to political allies to try and win the election. In in this Trump Cohen recording, we hear you know Cohen, who at the time was a real estate deal maker for Trump, setting up with Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, setting up um, shell companies to silence a possible embarrassing episode during the presidential campaign. So this really is one big sloppy operation, the business, the political campaign. I don't think it's possible for Mueller's report to have any credibility if he doesn't address this. Now, he might address it more finely than maybe I would prefer by only looking at business dealings that uh, directly relate to Russia in some way. So if he uncovered evidence that, say, Trump laundered money for someone in India or, or that his deal in Uruguay was a total scam, I'm just saying this out, you know, making this up, maybe he'd decide, well, that's really beyond my remit. Although I like to think he would refer that case um, to prosecutors. So, I I, I mean, basically, my, my gut sense is that there's a reasonable likelihood that what's going to happen is collusion there will be some indictments or some report about collusion where people like you and me say, wow, the Trump campaign really colluded. And Fox News says, oh boy, see, Trump's totally innocent and the Republicans do nothing. Um, But I don't see any possibility that we're done hearing about financial corruption. I think that is just with Trump for as long as he's in the public eye. And the reason I think that's super important is that I think that cuts to the bone of Trump directly. Um, I think that he feels, and probably rightly so, that him actually being removed from office is very, very unlikely. But him losing money, his children going to jail, us learning an awful lot about his finances and him losing his finances and the Trump business effectively ending I think those those feel like real possibilities and and I think for Trump uh, that will be unbearable and how he responds to that what he does to stop that you know that 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 can get me pretty scared when I start thinking that through
2: all right well I think that note of terror <laughs> is a good place to end um, Adam Davidson thank you so much
1: thank you Ezra this is was- fun and terrifying to to talk about. Thank you.
2: Thank you to Adam Davidson. Thank you to my engineer, Griffin Tanner. Our producer, Jillian Weinberger. The Ezra Clancho is a Vox Media podcast production, and we'll be back next week.